ever tried to do a job at some point in your life and you have had the wrong tools? Right? You've had that before at some point in your life, maybe cooking or you're, you're cleaning or something. The right tools are really, really important. I remember a time not this long ago when in my office I had to hang something in my, my office. Now our walls, our church walls, and our offices too are like this. They're, they're, they're concrete. And so I had to uh, hang a thing in my concrete wall, so I drilled my hole and came to the point where I realized that I don't have... A, um, I don't have a hammer in my office. And so I'd taken my, my home, and so I didn't have one. So I thought, well, next best thing, right? I'm going to use my trusty little uh, uh, tape measure here. And so I, I started pounding in my, 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 my concrete anchor and got the first one in pretty good. But number two didn't go so well because uh, my, my, my tape measure here became a casualty of my foolish decision and got a big crack down the middle of it. And, and because I had the wrong tool. I had the right idea, but I had the wrong tool in the moment. And maybe you before have had that at some point. And, and I've had this happen to me many times. Uh, because I like to do uh, handy things, but I also uh, like to sometimes uh, have to improvise because I don't always have the right tools. And, and, and when, you, when you don't have the right tool, something inevitable is going to happen. One of four things. The first one is you are going to be probably at some point frustrated, right? You have the wrong tool for the job, be frustrated. And number two, it'll probably take you longer. Now, you might be proud of yourself for your ability to improvise, but chances are it'll take you a little bit longer because you don't have the right tool. It'll also probably cause you to, to not come out right. When, when my wife and I were first married, living in a little apartment in Evansville, Indiana, uh, she had commissioned me to build some little side end tables. Uh, we saw them at a store. They were ridiculous expensive, and I said, I can build those. And so I said, I'll, I'll build those for you. And we got home and bought the lumber. And, and my garage down there was a three-by-three three little tiny closet outside on our deck or on our porch. And so I didn't have many tools. I had a handsaw, and I had a miter box, and I had a, a hammer and a nail. Those are not the right tools for fine woodwork. And so I built these, these, these tables, and to be honest with you, they came out okay, and we still have these tables, and I look at them, and I think, man, if I only had the right tools, they could have gone better. Now, my wife won't let me get rid of those tables because she loves them because she reminds me we did that stuff. And, and you know, so now I have more right tools, but, but back then I, I didn't. And this brings me today to where we are in our message, in our series. See, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, we, we start to walk through this ideal. And, and if you would today, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We're walking through as a church the, the book of Hebrews over the last few weeks, and we've been learning and growing in, in Hebrews and discovering what it was all about. And we've discovered so far that Hebrews was written to a people with a problem. It was written to the Jewish Christians who had a big issue. The Jewish Christians were being persecuted. They were, their lives were, were, were struggling. Things were going not very well for them. And so many of them were abandoning Christ and going back to their original Jewish faith which of course meant that they had to abandon Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't do it, it's not worth it. Don't go back. 
Now, you might be saying this morning, what does this really have to do with me? I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not, I wasn't alive back then. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not abandoning my faith and going back to my old heritage. And that's just not, what does this have to do with me? But I think that we do stuff like this more often than we think we do stuff like this. And in this, and that when we are walking through a difficult time, what we tend to want to do is we want to find the pressure release valve and want to hit the pressure release valve before we do what this book tells us to and shows us to do. The book of Hebrews is a, is a, a model for how to problem solve in our lives. Because it starts out by showing us your first consideration has to be, Jesus, I need a revelation of you. Lord, I need to see you in a greater light. I need a bigger picture of you. And so often when we walk through tough times, and maybe you're better than me, we walk through tough times, our first reaction is to find the pressure release valve and just give up or whatever it might be. And Hebrews teaches us that that's not how it's supposed to be. We need to think differently. When it comes to issues, when it comes to problems, when it comes to life, we need to think differently. Last week, we talked about how we need, as believers, we, it's very easy for us to drift. And you had homework. You had to think about this. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you actually did your homework? You thought about how easy it is for us to drift. If you're in a connection group, I've heard many reports from our leaders who have talked about how you've had some lively discussions. I did my own homework. I'm a teacher, so no, I did the homework. I thought about this this last week and thought how amazing it is that we are held by Christ. We are held by, by God, that he, is, he holds us there, but that because of that fact, we need to hold to him. Amen? Because he holds us, we need to hold to him. But how easy it is for us to drift away from that, and, and for us to get sloppy in those things. And so this is what we're talking about. Let's read today in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this. It says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. Now what the writer here does is he begins to quote from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. He says, He says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus. That is important, right? But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, it's important detail, but now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. That's good, that's good news there. Verse number 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's us, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffers. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. 
What this passage does is this passage reveals a dream, a, an idea that God had from the beginning of time, that God intentioned a certain thing to happen. But that thing God intentioned was restricted by sin. You picture here, picture this spot where God wants us to go or be. It's this great spot, it's this great place, and it's valuable and it's important. But there's a restricted sign on that, on, that, on that wall there, and we can't get in. You may understand that this morning. You said, I felt that before. It's like, I just don't know how to get where God wants me to go. These people uh, might have been able to relate to that. But, but God here, through his grace, through this writer of Hebrews, gives us some tools we use, because you don't use a jackhammer and a hard hat to get to this restricted place. You use tools God's given us to walk this thing through. This morning, our staff is going to walk through these three things. If we cheat ahead a little bit, to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, we find it, it says right here, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. See, God has a plan and a purpose for you and for me. God has a, a, a purpose. We've come to share in Christ. There's a promise there. There's a promise of blessing in this passage here. Really, this talks through the idea that God's plan for us is to thrive spiritually. Not just kind of make it, but to thrive. Now, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. Who doesn't want to thrive? But it speaks right here. It says, but we do have a place in this, right? If indeed we hold our conviction firmly to the very end. See, when God is speaking to these Hebrews, he's beginning to help them to walk them through how to walk past and how to walk beyond the original intention that they thrive spiritually. You know, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to have a revelation of me. You need that. You need to understand who I am and how big and how amazing that I am. That's Hebrews chapters 1 and the first part of 2. He gives them a picture, an idea, but then he starts to say, this is how you walk this out. You need tools. And so this morning, Pastor Jen's going to come today and share with us the first one for us to overcome. There we go. Okay, good morning. Um, if you know me at all, you know that speaking in front of people is not my thing. It terrifies me. But this week, as I was preparing for this, I actually started to find myself get excited because what I'm going to talk about is something that I feel like is a message for people to hear today. And I'm super excited about that. So I know for myself and probably everyone in this room, we have all had moments where we feel completely alone or completely forgot about. Maybe you're walking through something that's hard in your life and you're looking around and going, nobody gets it. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Or maybe you find yourself in the middle of a crowd of people and... You're looking around going, no one really sees me. Like, there's all these people here, and they might talk to me, but nobody sees me. And I'm here today to tell you and to encourage you and to remind you that you're not alone. God sees you. God hears you. God cares about you. Um, this passage in Psalms that Hebrews is quoting starts out with the psalmist looking around at creation and basically just saying, wow, God, this is amazing. And then he pauses, and he's like, wait a second, with all of this creation, how is it you're even seeing us as people? 
Like, how do you even notice us? How do you even take care of us? Like, you have all of this. And I know at times I have felt the same exact way. I have felt like, how can the God that literally spoke everything into existence see me and care about me? And one of these times I was feeling this and feeling super lonely and super just misunderstood in some situations in my life, I happened to be reading in Genesis 16. And this is a story that I have read over many, many times because I love the Old Testament somehow. And yeah, most people like the name, I like the old. Um, so I'm reading through it, and I had read this story, but for the first time ever, it came to life to me. And it's the story of a woman named Hagar. Now, all we know about Hagar is she is a slave that's Egyptian, and she belongs to Sarah, Abraham's wife. And in this moment in history, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for the son that God promised them, and they got impatient. And so they decide that the slave girl is going to have a kid for them. She gets no choice in the matter. She's their slave. And so when she gets pregnant, the Bible says that Sarah started to mistreat her. Some versions even say that Sarah abused her. And so you have a pregnant Hagar who runs away into the desert because it's going to be better than being mistreated where she's at. And you see her there, and then the Bible says, the Lord came to her and called her by name. He said, Hagar, what are you doing here? And the Lord meets with her in the desert, and she is distressed for obvious reasons right now. And she's pregnant, so she's probably even more distressed than she would normally be. And God sees her and calls her by name. And he tells her, he says, that child that you're carrying is going to be a son, and I want you to name him Ishmael. Ishmael means God has heard my misery. So her son's name was to remind her that God heard her while she was alone in the desert by herself. And it's so cool because then it goes on to say that Hagar gave this name to God in that moment. She said, you are the God who sees me. And I just love that moment where she's like, I'm by myself in the middle of a desert. I'm not even part of your chosen people group. I am a slave and you are the God who sees me. And this is not even the only time that Hagar would have an encounter with God. If you jump five chapters later, and several years later, her son Ishmael has been born. Now Abraham and Sarah have had Isaac. And Sarah no longer wants Ishmael and Hagar around because it's just a reminder of, like, them not trusting God. So they send them away, back into the desert. And there's a moment where Hagar lays her son down under a bush because they've run out of water and she knows he's going to die. And as a mom, she's walking away because she cannot bear to watch her child die. Probably the one person in the world she felt like loved her. And once again, God speaks to Hagar. This time it says he speaks from heaven. And he says, Hagar, don't be afraid. I hear your boy crying. I see your boy's misery. Go back to him. He is going to be like someone that has a lot of descendants. Like, he's going to be okay. He's going to get through this. I see him. Go back to him. Go get him. Look, there's water. And he meets the slave woman and this boy who were kicked out of everything that they ever knew in the desert. And this is so powerful to me because how often, even though we have all been taught since we were really little, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. 
How often in these moments in our life that are hard do we forget that truth? Do we forget that God cares about us? And this, like, the moment I read this story, I was just like, wow, I have never seen this before. Like, I've glossed over it because our Bible heroes are kind of jerks. But God saw this woman and her son in the desert, and he responded to them and to their needs. And in the midst of everything else, he still cared about them. And it's so fun because I was looking up just various verses that I've heard a lot. There are verses about how God's thoughts of us outnumber the sand in the world. Think about that for a second. Think about a beach, a desert, etc. God thinks about you more than there is sand in the world. Basically, he's thinking about you specifically all the time, which is amazing to me. And he promises that he will never leave us. He promises us that he will never forsake us. And it is such a powerful truth. So I'm here today to remind you that when you feel like you are alone and lost in a crowd and unheard, God sees you specifically. He hears what you are saying to him, to other people. He hears it. When you feel like you're invisible and nobody cares about you, you have a loving God that is thinking about you constantly. Like in all of creation, he is thinking about you constantly. And like in Hebrews, it reminds us, who are you, that you, who are we, that you are mindful of us? God sees you, God hears you, God loves you, and you are never alone. Wow, great job. That was awesome. Sorry, I need to move the table forward. Well, I get, the, I get to talk about the next verse, and it says this. It says, um, well, we'll start in verse 6, and, but I have verse 7. It says, what is man that you are mindful of them, and the son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor. Everyone say glory and honor. Glory and honor. As, as Pastor Jenny said, God is always with us. God always cares about us. God always sees us. And the cool thing is that not, God doesn't always just see us and care about us. He even takes it a step further than that. And this verse says that God crowns us with glory and honor. God crowns us with glory and honor. And, and I was, as I was studying for this, for this, uh, for this uh, little sermonette, I was... Um, I was like, what does that mean, glory and honor? What is glory and honor? And the Hebrew word for glory, okay, so this is about the most scholarly we're gonna go today. The Hebrew word for glory means the excellency of a thing, the excellency of a thing. So one commentator described it like this. Glory is the dignity which God will place upon his saints to be the most excellent they can be advanced to. And he goes on to say that um, this word glory emphasizes that which is real and substantial in contrast to that which is, which is fake. So God is going to, give, to really place his glory on us, and he's going to advance us to the excellency that we can be. What does that mean? It means that God is going to make us into the best person that we can be. God doesn't want us just to be, God doesn't want us just to be, you know, somebody who is who's always struggling with things, who's always down and out. God fills us with his presence and puts his glory in us so that we can become the best person, uh, become the person that he created us to be. And the second word there is honor. And honor is that which is esteemed or revered by people. And one thing that I think is really cool in this passage is that the word honor has a connotation of beauty to it. 
So God, God not only crowns us with his glory and fills us with his presence so that we can be the best versions of ourselves, but God, God makes us into people that, have his, that carry his honor, that carry his beauty with us, it, that people can look to us and say, wow, that, I, see, I see something different in you. I see something beautiful in you. I see something attractive in you. What is that thing that you carry? God crowns us with these things. Now, now kids, we're, I'm gonna take a second, the kids are all in here. Kids, where, if you're gonna go out to eat at a fast food place, where do you like to go? Anybody? McDonald's, anybody McDonald's? Culver's, there we go, how about, what, what else, how about you? McDonald's, Chick, who's that, Chick-fil-A, that's right, Christian Chicken, Christian Chicken. Pizza Ranch, oh, Christian Pizza, hey, there we go. Well, one of the places that I like to go, and maybe other people don't like to, is Burger King. And one thing, yeah, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Burger King crowns you with burgers and fries. But um, I, got, I got this little thing. When I was a kid, I loved the idea of going to Burger King, and I loved to get this little crown, and it made me feel like a little king in my fast food palace, and I loved it. Is there any kid in here that wants to wear a crown today? Right there, right in the back. All right. What? What's your name? Chandler. Chandler? Here you go. That's, that. That's for you. You are now crowned with Burger King's glory. And, and also, I just, I just have always wanted to do this. So it's about time we make him royalty for real. So, um, you're now royalty. Um, anyway, so, okay. Part of that is to engage the children, but that also, I think that also serves a really, really good uh, point, a really good purpose, is that God is the one that crowns us with glory and honor. God is the one that crowns us with glory and honor. And he, he makes his salvation available to us through Jesus by his grace. So it's not like, not, a lot of times as Christians, we can think to ourselves, man, I have to earn it, I have to work, I have to, I have to crown myself with God's glory and honor. When God's saying, I, I already sent Jesus. I already sent a revelation of who I am. And all you have to do is get in line with it. All you have to do is raise your hand and say, God, I accept that. I receive that. Chandler didn't have to earn that crown. I just gave it to him. And God does the same thing for us. He loves us and crowns us with his glory and honor. See, the cool thing, the cool thing about this is this passage is about Christ's humility. Christ, Christ came to the earth and he subjected himself, he submitted himself to what God wanted to do in his life, how God wanted to use him. And after his death and resurrection, God exalted him to the highest place. And in our lives, that's what we have to do. We have to follow God. We have to submit to him and say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to live the way you want me to live. I'm going to be the person that you want me to be. Kids, it's kind of like we obey God kind of the same way that we obey our parents, right? Yep, and then when we do that, God exalts us. He fills us with his glory and honor. And God does this for two reasons, and this will be our kind of our application points, and we'll wrap up with this. First, it's because God loves us and he wants us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. He doesn't want us to carry ourselves in defeat anymore. Man, when you have a crown on, you kind of walk a little bit taller, right? Even when I was a little kid, I was like, woohoo, I went to Burger King, I'm so cool. Um, and this, but the problem is a lot of us as Christians, we don't, we don't live like we carry God's glory. We don't walk around like we can be the best version of ourselves that God, 
created us to be. God loves us and he wants us to be the best version of ourselves because he wants us to have a good life. And secondly is this, is that the end game though isn't our glory. You see, as I carry God's glory, as I carry God's honor, the end game is that I will reflect glory and honor back to him, that when people look at me, they can see God's glory in me. So in, in the end, God is the one who receives glory, and we are the people, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are God's ambassadors to the world so that they can see him through us. So this doesn't mean you're, you are crowned with glory, but this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect all the time. It means that we allow God to work in us and through us to bring him glory. And no longer do we have to walk in defeat, but we can walk in victory because God has crowned us with his glory and honor. That's all for me. Thank you. Verse eight in chapter two says, and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Genesis chapter one, it's going back to the beginning of your Bible. If you, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you usually still know that Genesis is towards the beginning, right? Kids, you know that, right? Raise your hand. Yeah. Woo-woo. Teenagers, you know that? One teenager knows that. Pastor Tyler, you've got your job cut out for you. Um, but anyways, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, that's not just good news for hunters, but God's design from the very beginning, his dream for us is for us to have authority over things. That's one of the things that he designed for us was to have authority over things. I'm excited about that. See, part of it was, was for us to, to rule over those things. He put us in that place for a reason. It's one of the very first things mentioned about humankind, other than reproducing and multiply. We're not going to talk about that because there's kids here. Romans chapter 8, going to this part, the Spirit of God, I'm sorry, verse, verse 11 in chapter 8 of Romans. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Can I tell you a second? Living in the Spirit brings authority. I'm going to repeat that because some of you didn't hear it. Living in the Spirit brings authority to your life, and that's a good thing. If this same Spirit is the, is the, the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that's, that's not lacking any power, that's not lacking any authority. And guess what? We are joint heirs to that. The Bible says, I'm not making it up, people, just because it's on my iPhone. I'm not on Google, I promise. Uh, but this, this is something that we get to live for. And the thing is, we have access to that same authority that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It's not just a nice verse that we get to post on our timeline. It's not just a cool thing to be like, ooh, I have authority. Uh, this is something you get to live with. This is exciting. Now, I want to ask a question. And I, you don't need to answer, but think about this for a second. What does that authority mean for us? What does that authority mean for our life? What does that authority mean for our circumstances? You see, we, we really want to believe this. I don't know. Maybe this is just me. Can I just be a little bit honest for a second? We really want to believe that, I think. I think we really want to believe that I've got authority, and I walk in the Spirit of God, and I'm ready for whatever comes at me in my life. But when it comes down to it, we don't really feel that way because sometimes our life doesn't play out the way that we think it should. We think that we lack that authority just because, well, things aren't rosy and peachy and all this kind of stuff. The question is, are we shaped by our circumstances or are we shaped by God's image? I'm going to ask again. Are we shaped by our circumstances or are we shaped by God's image? His design for us was for us to have authority. I told Pastor Steve this morning when I came into the office that God... 
God speaks to me. I believe that. And there's, there's times where he has been very clear to me. And I was prepared this morning for, for this quick little couple-minute thing. And God woke me up early this morning. And can I just be honest? I don't wake up super early all the time. But God woke me up very early this morning and put something so clear in my mind. And I believe this is for somebody today, including myself. But clear as day, he said, this authority in your life doesn't keep us from our trials. It assures victory in those trials. I'm going to say that again. The authority in our life doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we're going to go through trials or not. It has everything to do with the victory that you have over those trials. If you're a parent in here, kids, I love you. My daughter's over there coloring. Uh, I love kids, but just because you have the authority as a parent doesn't mean that you're not going to go through, through trials with your kids. Just because we have the authority that God has given us through his spirit does not mean that we won't face trials. What it means is that we are victorious in those trials. Amen. Amen. Pastor Joe, if you could come, come and play just real quietly behind me because we're going to close here this morning. Did you catch that this morning? And again, I want to go back to my, our original illustration and, and the tools and the right tools and the wrong tools. And I remind you again what happens when we use the wrong tools in our lives. We, when we use the wrong tools, get frustrated. We will be, take us longer. Things won't come out right. And you just might give up. You see, this is the call, this is the life, this is a place that God has intention for us. It was written here in this passage as a word to the Hebrews for this purpose and reason to show them, God, man, you want to get out of this, this is where you begin. You start with the revelation of Jesus, but what does that mean? It takes you to the place where you understand these things. But when we go at things in our lives and we say, God, I don't have authority because of whatever reason. Or we say, God, I don't have this. Or, Lord, you don't think about me, Lord. Or, or I'm not crowned with the glory and honor you provided in my life. When we go at life and go at problems and go at victories and things without these tools in our hands and the wrong tools, well, it'll take us longer. We might give up. Things are going to not go as well and, and as, as planned. You'll be, be frustrated. The original hearers did that, and so do we sometimes. And I want to encourage you, but also challenge you today, because again, this is a restricted area, as this passage tells us. It's restricted. You may say, I, I, I believe this, I like this, but I just, I, I don't get it. Well, it's restricted by sin. And that's the beauty of Jesus. This passage speaks to us and, and tells us, and it, it shows us that you don't get this by trying harder. You don't get this by working and gritting your teeth. You work, you get to this place by allowing Christ to speak in your life and, and first coming to him and saying, God, I need a revelation of you. Because what he'll show you in those moments is that you are crowned with glory you have authority. He'll show you in, the, in those moments that you, have, you are crowned with glory and honor and that he thinks about you. You are not alone in this moment. You are not alone in those times. But you have to be led and you have to be guided. You have to tie your ships, as we talked about last week, to truth, 
not to circumstance. Pastor Joel, you said, man, was just, that was good. And, and that's the hard thing sometimes in our lives, isn't it? To be tied not to our circumstances, but be tied to the truth. This morning, I'd like to have Maurice come up today. Maurice, are you in here still? He, he had a word from the Lord this, earlier today, and, and I'll tell you what, man. Maurice has been with us for, what, about two months now? And come on, come on, come, come up. And, and he's given some words, and, and they have been spot on. And there's things that he has, has said that he has no understanding of in the natural, but yet God has used him in some ways in my life personally, in my family. Um, uh, we are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gifts of spirit that God gives words. And Maurice, this morning, you had a word that you felt that God was speaking today. I, I feel it's spot on, and I'd like to have you share that this morning, if you would. All right, th thank you. Check. There we go. I'm here. Um, at the end of the singing, what, what came to me was that God didn't just want us to feel good that he was in our presence. He literally wanted to prove himself to each one of us mm. in two specific areas. One, financial deliverance. Financial deliverance. Mm -hmm. Who here needs more money? <laughs> Amen. Okay? I literally believe that the Holy Spirit wants to demonstrate himself mm. as being strong on your behalf mm. by doing something for you financially. And, and back to when the pastor put his hands out like this, he said some of us are keeping him away. He literally wants us to go like this and receive that financial deliverance. You may not know where it's going to come from. You may not know how it's going to happen. Mm. He just wants you to invite him into that area and say, oh, God, I can't do it. Just do it for me. Show me what to do. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll give if I need to give. I'll, I'll go over here. I'll do that. I'll do this. Come into my life financially and do it for me. The other piece was physical healing. Mm. There are some people here who need physical healing or know someone that needs physical healing. Mm. He literally wants you to receive that from him. God's big in the healing business. It's one of yeah. his main calling cards. Amen. He likes to show himself strong because when people see other people get healed, then they start to believe that this God thing is real in a whole new way. Amen. So I just wanted to encourage all of us, if you, if you personally need something from a healing standpoint, mm. right now, right now, mm. say, I receive it. Jesus. Say it with me. I receive Jesus. it. Jesus. Whatever it is. Jesus. This is the God that Praise literally resurrects Jesus. the dead. Mm. And that verse that was quoted, the Romans right. 8, 11, it literally says the power that raised Jesus yes. from the dead is at work in our physical yes. bodies right now. Mm. So he wants, he literally wants whoever needs healing in this room right now mm. to walk out of here healed Jeez. so that you can go home and go to work yes. tomorrow and say something happened. Man. And the people that know that you weren't well that now know you're well say, well, what is this? It happened in my church. Come to my church. Come see this Jesus thing. Come feel what I felt. Come see what I saw. Mm. So those are the two words he wants us to individually receive. Financial deliverance, physical healing. Amen. So can we do that right now? Amen. Amen. Say, I receive it. I receive it. Say, I receive Hallelujah. my financial deliverance. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And I receive my physical healing. Praise Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Maurice. Why don't you stand across this room today? See, God doesn't pour out blessings in our life just to pour them out. God pours them out in our lives for purposes and for reasons. And if you're here today, and I'd like to have, if I could, the, the prayer team come forward. Uh, also, we have some kids that want to pray as well. So kids, prayer team, you come forward as well. Let's stand across this front of this room right here. 
And today, I want you, if you would, bow your head, close your eyes this morning. And man, this is a place of grace, this is a place of, of faith, this is a place we trust God for some things in our lives. And, and the Word speaks and the Word talks and the Word says about how when we respond to Him with open arms and open lives and open hearts, He responds to us. And, and man, there are so many good things that God wants to do in our lives this morning. And the first thing today might be this. You might be here today and say, I'd like this kind of life, but it's been restricted to me. But I'll tell you again, I look back to this word, and it says, it's restricted by sin, but you can come to Jesus. You can say, Lord, forgive me, clean me, wash me. Your life was never intended to be like it is. If that's you, it's, listen to what he says today. It's not intended to be like that. It's that way because of sin. But he has broken, as, as Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 says, he has broken the bonds of sin upon your life if you will allow him to do that in your life. Amen? He's broken that this morning. Stop living under that authority of the enemy and of sin and turn your life over to Christ and live under his authority. Live under what he is doing. He has crowned you. He thinks about you. He cares about you. He loves you. And it comes when you bow your head. You might need finances. You might need healing. Whatever it is today, there has been words spoken. If you put your arms away from this into this, receive what he says today. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you glory. If that's you today, if that's you, if that's your situation, I want to encourage you to come forward, find a member of this prayer team, find a child, whatever it might be, and say, would you pray for me this morning? Would you pray, I need this thing. I need God to heal me. I need God to deliver me. I need God to work in this area. Maybe today you would be here and you'd say, I need Jesus to save me. Let someone know. Say, I need Christ in my life. You might be broken. You might be broke financially. God doesn't bless you just to make your life better. God blesses you to show you that he is good. He blesses you to show you that it is about him this morning. You might be here today and there's whatever in your life and you need deliverance today. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? As Pastor Joe sings this song today, I'm going to pray as he sings this song. I want to encourage you to lift your heart, lift your voice, lift your hands. If you're here today and you would say, I'm not, I'm doing good, I want to encourage you to pray to pray and to stand the gap for those that are struggling. Lord, we want to see you heal. We want to see you set free. We want to see you deliver, Lord Jesus. Lord, if there's those here today, God, that just need a financial miracle, provide it. And Lord, while doing that, show them that, Lord, you are, you are an awesome God. There might be those here today that need a touch on their body. Lord, deliver that today, Lord Jesus. And let them see and everyone around them see that you are a God who saves, heals, and delivers.